0: if you have a bible can i encourage you to open with me to philippians uh, and philippians chapter one again we're still here in this first chapter of this wonderful short book and we're going to uh, read through to the end of verse 18 this evening so we'll pick up in philippians 1 and verse 1 and read through to verse 18 this is the word of the lord paul and timothy servants of christ jesus to all the saints in christ jesus who are at philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, that comes through jesus christ to the glory and praise of god i want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for christ and most of the brothers having become confident in the lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear some indeed preach christ from envy and rivalry But others from goodwill the latter do it out of love knowing that i am put here for the defense of the gospel the former proclaim christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment what then only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth christ is proclaimed and in that i rejoice amen and we thank god for his word to us this evening this evening we are in uh, Philippians, Philippians
1: chapter 1, and we're really focusing on verses 12 through to 18 this evening. Um, I have a, a sore throat, and so if I feel more manly or sound more manly than normal, that's, um, that's the reason, no other reason. Uh, let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, that you're a God who calls, and you call effectively, bringing us to life. Father, might tonight be a night when you would do that. And for those of us who you've already called to life, might we be obedient as we continue to hear your call, as you show us how you want us to live as your people. So, Father, give us hearts with a great desire uh, to, to become more and more Christ-like, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was 17, I headed off on a mission trip to dunlow uh, in Donegal. And uh, the mission trip uh, was... Uh, well, it was supposed to coincide with the Mary of Low Musical Festival. I mean, I said it was supposed to. It really did uh, coincide with it. And um, so we headed off to the, the Mary of Low Irish Music Festival. And the plasma was that there was a group of us who were musicians, and the musicians were going to play some uh, prayer songs on the street. Uh, and then a few of the rest of us would also then engage in conversations with people as we sought to, to share the gospel. And we had a number of CDs with us, CDs which we had recorded some uh, praise songs together uh, on. And then there was a a gospel message that was shared that we could uh, give out and people could um, could, uh, enjoy that and listen to it. And we pray that God might use it. And day one went pretty well. It was a a good day by all accounts. Um, We we sang our hearts out. Um, I had the Jemby drum and it was blasting. It was really good. It was good fun. And we had some really good conversations People were really open uh, to hearing the gospel and, and asking questions as to what it was that we were doing there uh, on the streets. Day one went pretty well. Then there was day two. Day two, we arrived in uh, basically exactly the same place as where we were, but things were noticeably different. There was a different vibe in the air. You just got the sense something has happened since yesterday. There was um, some speakers on the street, uh, and they kind of played at low level, um, Low level, just had music on the street. But this day, it was no longer low level. It had been cranked way up. And so I distinctly remember Bob the Builder blasting out behind me. And it was, it was quite distracting, I'll not lie. It was hard not to get into the groove of Bob the Builder when you're supposed to be playing something else. And we got chatting to some of the people that we got chatting to the day before. And they told us that at the chapel the night before, they had been warned not to listen. To what these people on the street were talking about, discouraged from listening to the message that we had to share. That was one of those times when you kind of felt a, a real sense of opposition to the gospel, opposition to the good news about Jesus. And yet, God had a strange way of working. We're going to come back to that a wee bit later. And Paul here in this section in, in Philippians was definitely feeling the effects of gospel opposition, wasn't he? And much more than a cold shoulder or a a turning up of the, the background street music, Paul finds himself in prison, doesn't he? And he finds himself in prison as a result of his faith in Christ. We see that at the end of verse 13, don't we? My imprisonment is for Christ. That is why he is in prison. He is in prison for Christ. And yet, as Paul writes to this church, he wants him to know that actually the opposition to Christ and the gospel in a strange way in a strange way had actually led to further advancement of the gospel. It's wonderful actually. And you might think, well, how could this actually be? Well, look at verse 12. Paul writes, "I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel." You might think, well, Paul, how does this work? Here you are, the great evangelist, the great preacher, and, and now you're in prison. You're, you're the, the apostle, you're the, the church planter, and now you're in prison. Now, surely now that the chains are on, that, that means that you're no longer being as effective in sharing the gospel. Surely now that the, chain, the chains are on, those who had arrested him thought that that would mean that the gospel wouldn't be able to be shared quite as effectively. And yet Paul's testimony is something quite different. He says that what has happened to him, his being placed in prison, has actually brought about an advancement to the gospel. An advancement to the gospel. And look at how it's come about. As a result of Paul being in prison, he says that that the reason for his uh, imprisonment is now known throughout all of the imperial guard. Apparently, uh, in Rome at that point, there was about 9,000 guards Nine thousand guards, and so many think, well, surely Paul must be exaggerating at this point. How could they? How could they all hear of his reason for being in prison? You know, just think about it for a moment. Here's Paul. He's under arrest. He has a guard assigned to him. Uh, Paul is going to have lots and lots of time to be able to talk to the guard, and uh, they're going to be able to uh, hear the reason as to why he is in prison. They would have witnessed his joy. They would have watched on how others would come and take care of him. And surely they listened on to the conversations which he would no doubt be having with them, saturated with talk of Christ. And if each of these soldiers was then to go back to their own division, surely they would share what they hear. And this is a message that would pass on and go from one soldier to the next soldier. Why? Because, well, this wasn't the typical story, was it? I mean, there's lots of people in prison, but their stories aren't like this. And so surely this is a message that's going to pass around from, uh, pro, uh, from uh, soldier to soldier. And so the gospel was advancing, wasn't it? The gospel was advancing, even though it's perhaps not how you might plan. If you were thinking, right, let's think of a good outreach project. How will we seek, seek to get the gospel out? This is probably not the way you'd plan. And yet, this is how God goes about it, isn't it? Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, you have to wonder, don't you? Who are all the rest? Who are all the rest that it speaks of here? Well, no, was it the rest of the staff around the prison? Was it their families? Was it the rest of the prisoners? Were they there, the prisoners, hearing about this message about Christ Jesus and how he came to save sinners? And did they hear this message and think, boy, that's a message for me. Here I am, a sinner in prison. What a wonderful thing, isn't it? Paul's imprisonment, the very thing that was supposed to limit or restrict the spreading of the gospel, serves to do exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. It serves to advance the gospel. The gospel goes forth as a result. And as we read this, we have to say, God has a strange way of working, doesn't he? God has a strange way of working. I wonder how he might still be doing that same thing today. You lie up in hospital, and perhaps you're frustrated frustrated that you can't do the things that you would normally do, well, I wonder, have you thought about how God might use you in hospital to advance the gospel to the, the staff in the hospital, to the patients that lie either side of you, who finds themselves just who happens to be there, the all the rest? How might God advance the gospel to them through you being in hospital? Or, or what about at home? Sometimes we read stories of missionaries heading off to China or Africa or, or Russia, perhaps Perhaps you're at home all the time. Perhaps you're, you're a stay-at-home mom and you're looking after children. You think, well, what you're doing looks so unimpressive in comparison to those who have you know, jet-setted across the world to share the gospel. And yet as you're there discipling your children hour after hour, shaping how they view things and see things and seeking to point them to the gospel over and over and over again, you get a wonderful opportunity to pass on the faith, don't you? What about the fall that limits your ability to get out of the house? And so you lie up with your leg in cast, like John did earlier in the year. (laughs) And you might think to yourself, why? Why Why would this be the case? Why does God bring this about? Surely it looks like this hinders the advance of the gospel rather than advancing it. And yet carers come into your home every day and they see the verses of Scripture up on your wall. You see the Bible that's worn out, that sits in the chair that you sit in and they ask questions, what is it that you hope in? And your neighbors watch on as members from the Congregational Pastoral Care Team come around day after day after day, dropping off more and more meals, and they look on and they think, I'd like to be part of a family like that, that really does care and love for those who are in it. You see, God has a a marvelous way of working, doesn't he? God has a marvelous way of working. He can take situations And to us, they look like the situations that would restrict the gospel, that would stop the gospel from going out, and he he turns it on its head, and he uses it to send the gospel out far and wide. And so we can trust that God knows what he's at. God knows what he's doing. God works in somewhat strange ways, doesn't he? And yet notice the second way that Paul, being in prison, has advanced the gospel is in Verse 14. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord, by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Again, it's strange, isn't it? I mean, we might think the opposite. We might think, well, surely if if Paul's been arrested for his faith, we might think that other believers, as as they watch on, they would be thinking, okay, it's risky to talk about my faith. Tell you what, let's just lie low for a little bit of time. Let's um, let's not put our head above the the parapet. Let's just, you know, stay low. We don't want to be in the the prison cell next to Paul, do we? Definitely not. Definitely not. And yet, what happens? It's the very opposite, isn't it? The very opposite. They have become more confident in the Lord. And as a result, they are much more bold to speak the word without fear. (laughs) That's the opposite of what we might expect, isn't it? It's the very opposite of what we might expect. Surely there is even more reason to be fearful. And yet, in the counterintuitive way that God works, the gospel advances, the gospel advances. And often when Christians face persecution for their faith in a country, rather than Christianity shriveling up, actually, it grows and flourishes. We see many examples in in recent history, but we see lots of examples of it in the Bible as well. Just think of one this evening. Think of the story of, of Esther, even tries to have God's people wiped out. And what happens? The very opposite. The very opposite. Many come to put their faith in God. The opposite of what he would have hoped. And now Paul is writing to this church in Philippi. And why do you think he wants them to know this? See that in verse 12, I want you to know why might Paul want these people at this particular time to know how things have been working out with him in prison? Well, the reason is this, the reason is this, that these are a people who, like Paul, are suffering for the sake of Christ. We read about it in a, in a few verses time. Look with me at them. Um, chapter 1, verses 29 and 30. It says, for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. So I wonder what effect hearing Paul's testimony might have on this little congregation. On this little congregation, as they hear Paul's testimony, what effect do you think it'll have? Well, surely it encouraged them. Surely it encouraged them to stand firm, whatever the cost, knowing that God works in strange ways. And who knows, who knows how God will work through their suffering for Christ. And it surely made them bolder. It surely made them bolder as they listened to these other Christians emboldened in their faith. Surely it raised the bar to their own boldness. And shouldn't it do the same with us? Here we are this evening, shouldn't it do the same with us? We might be tempted to think that the best way to advance the gospel and the cause of Christ is just to keep our heads down, not mention that we're a Christian compromise where necessary. We might think that's the best way forward. And yet, no, that's, that's not how we're supposed to go forth, is it? No, followers of Jesus are supposed to be distinctive. People should look at us and say, no, that person's a Christian. I can tell. I can see how they live and what they say. They're different. They're a Christian. We're supposed to stand out because of our obedience to Christ. And it looks more and more likely that the stance that we take here and now in, in our society... In this nation, as believers, it looks like we're coming under more and more pressure, more and more pressure, and it looks like we'll find ourselves more and more likely, if not to end up in prison, or at least to lose our jobs for the sake of Christ. I wonder how you're feeling about that as you hear about Paul's situation. How do you feel? Are you confident in the Lord are you looking to Christ to strengthen so, you, so that you will stand firm no matter what? Are you seeking to be bold, declaring the truth in love and without fear? Or is it, or is it that the fear of man, the fear of man has led you to no longer share the truth? The head's down. You're compromising left, right, and center. And many people don't even know you're a Christian. Listen to these verses in in Matthew. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? that even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. As God's people, we do not need to fear. We don't need to fear, but we can be bold and we can speak God's word. Why? Because God can take care of his people. We can be sure that God can take care of his people. If a sparrow, which is so common that it almost has no value at all, cannot fall from the sky apart from God's sovereign rule, then how much more is it the case when it is you or I, a man or woman made in the image of God and a child of God? And even if we are under attack, what is the worst that can happen? Well, the worst that can happen, as Matthew highlights for us, is that we can die. It's the worst that can happen. We can lose our lives. And Matthew reminds us that the one that we should fear is the one who can destroy our souls and body in hell. That is who we should fear. Matthew gives us perspective, doesn't he? He reminds us about how short this life is and how it's really important to think about how we respond to God's call. Paul's imprisonment advances the gospel and we need to know that God has a strange way of working, a really strange way of working. And it often works in such a way that you can't help but stand back once you glimpse it and say, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. We see it, don't we? Maybe you can look back in your own life and you think, well, that's not how I would have done it. And yet, you can see that God had a really good way of working. He knew exactly what he was up to. And you can say to God, be the glory, great things he hath done. Who would have thought that little baby born in Bethlehem, in a cattle shed, who would grow up and be crucified on the cross and, and die on a cross and be buried would change the course of history, that he would be the savior of the world. I mean, that's a strange way that God has of working, isn't it? And we see God's strange way of working again in verses 15 through to 18. Uh, look at what Paul says. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Whenever we come to listen to a preacher, well, if we're discerning and we listen to them, we'll be able to tell is what they say really what the text says? Do you remember that passage that they read out? <laughs> was the message that they were preaching really the message of the passage, or was it something completely different? I hope you, you can spot that, okay? I hope you can see that. If, if someone reads out a passage and says something completely different, you'll be thinking, I don't know what's going on here, but they're definitely not preaching what the passage is saying. Maybe you find yourself uh, on the way home from church on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening and and you're reflecting on what's been preached. And maybe you're saying, was that what the passage was saying? Hopefully you're saying, yes, that absolutely was what the passage was saying. Maybe you're thinking, did they point me to Christ? Was it faithful to the text? And, And certainly our prayer is that that would be the case. And yet, there's something that, There's something that as you sit down there, you don't know. And here's the thing that you don't know. You know what the the preacher looks like. You know what the preacher dresses like. You know what the preacher sounds like. Even more manly than normal, yes. And yet, you don't really know what's going on in their heart. You don't really know what their motives are. You can't take the words that he preaches and and put them through a a sieve, and and be left with a revelation of of the motive of their heart and why they preached it in the first place. It can be a, a hard thing, isn't it? Not knowing the motives of someone's hearts. And yet God knows a man's heart. God knows a woman's heart. God can see clearly all that's going on in the heart. And our hearts are complex places, aren't they? Because if we're honest, Sometimes we think about our own heart, and we think, I'm not even sure what my motives are. We struggle to, to flesh them out, don't we? What's really going on in my heart? And so the idea of having pure and faultless motives, well, that's something that we don't know this set of Christ's return, isn't it? But in this case, Paul knows the motivation of the hearts, doesn't he? He knows the motivations of the hearts of those who are preaching. In some sense, at least God must have given him revelation of that, to see, to spot it, discernment. And he says they're preaching out of envy and out of rivalry. And it's not that they're, they're preaching some sort of distortion of the gospel. No, it says they preach Christ. What they were saying was faithful to the text, you might say. They were preaching Christ, but they were doing so with wrong motives, It seems that they are preaching with selfish ambition. Isn't that what Paul says? You can kind of imagine the scene as to how this might come about. Some ministers in the area, you know, Paul moves in. Paul starts preaching. Everyone's talking about Paul's preaching. And the preacher who's there thinks, ah, I'd love people to be talking about my preaching. Wouldn't that be nice? And so now Paul finds himself chained up and they, they think, well, there's an opportunity. Paul's not getting the limelight these days, so maybe I'll move in. Maybe I'll get some of that line. Like, people might start talking about my preaching as a result. Maybe you're thinking, Jeff, this could never happen in a preacher's heart. Well, Paul gives you a, a realistic peek, a realistic peek behind the curtain into a preacher's heart in his day. And the same is no less true today because preacher, preachers are or real men, aren't they, who battle with sinful desires, and the old man, which seems to easily bubble up within. But I wonder, can you see that Paul is also giving you a glimpse of your own heart? It's not just the the preacher whose heart is exposed here, it's actually your own heart as well. You're asked to lead a, a growth group, and six months in, four members have left the growth group, and you feel pretty discouraged. And you chat to your friend, and you realize that all four members have joined their growth group. <laughs> and you think, ah, oh, I wish mine was the growth group that was flourishing. You're volunteering in, in church and in an organization, and um, well, you want it to grow and flourish, don't you? You want that to be the case. And what's the reason that you want that to be the case? Well, the reason is surely that you want Christ to be proclaimed, isn't it? Isn't it? Or is there a little bit of you that would like it to do well because you're the one who's involved in leading it? And wouldn't that be nice if someone put their arm around you and said, you're doing a great job there. (laughs) That's brilliant. That's brilliant. You see, it might be easy to think as we read verse 15, well, everything I do is of good and pure motive. That's me. That's me in the passage. That's me. And yet, if we're honest, it's not always the case, is it? (laughs) Because our, our Our motives are mixed at best, aren't they? And yet here is the good news. Although we long for our motives to be growing ever purer, although we strive to do all things out of a heart of love, it's also a great reassurance, isn't it, that God works using crackpots, crackpots like me and you. God is able to use us, even though sometimes our hearts can be in a real mess. We might preach Christ with a hundred different motives, We might preach Christ and we might not even be sure of any of the motives. And yet God is still able to use it. And isn't that what brings Paul great joy? (laughs) Yes, some are preaching Christ from from goodwill. He's really delighted at that. Some are preaching Christ out of love and sincerity. That is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And that's what we long for, isn't it? And yet others are doing it out of envy and out of rivalry and out of selfish ambition, really trying to, trying to, to get at Paul. And it's not that Paul isn't in any way encouraging us in these sinful motives. No, absolutely not. Like any other sin, once we recognize it and see it, we must come and confess it before God, seeking God's forgiveness. But rather, what we see here is Paul is saying that he can still rejoice. He can still rejoice because Christ is being proclaimed. The good news of the gospel is going forth. It's advancing. And that was Paul's focus. And don't get me wrong, it's not that Paul did not care about motive. Paul does care about motive. In fact, by writing about this sinful motive, he exposes their hearts, doesn't he? And he exposes our own hearts as well. And it's not that there's times when you know, the elders might come along and say, okay, we can discern that the motives here are all wrong, and so we're going to ask you to step aside for a time. That's... That, That's not what this is talking about, okay. That is absolutely right and good. But what Paul is addressing here is is this. He's saying that although, although it might have been really hurtful to him personally, really hurtful, their wrongful motives being linked with seeking to bring extra pain to him while he is there in chains in prison, he was going to absorb it. He was going to absorb it because Christ was being proclaimed, and to him that was more important Joy was still his lot. He, he didn't let this envy and rivalry that, that these other people had consume him to the point where he could not see that the joyful aspect of God's, God's good word going forth, the gospel advancing. He was able to keep the main thing, the main thing, wasn't he? Christ has been proclaimed, and for that reason, he was able to rejoice. And, and we listen to Paul, and we say, well, God works in strange ways, doesn't he? Here's people preaching Christ. Yes, they're preaching Christ faithfully, but from all sorts of wrong, sinful motives, and yet God still uses it. God still uses it. And we thank God that despite the chains that seemed to limit the gospel, the gospel was advancing. Christ is proclaimed, and his church is being built. I started by telling you about the, the trip to Dunlop, to the Mary of the Low Music Festival, that Irish music festival in the summer, and how there was opposition to the message of the gospel being shared. And we we find ourselves competing with Bob the Builder, which is no easy task. I I told you that already. (laughs) And yet, like Paul's imprisonment, I think that the reaction from the others on the mission team was that they were were emboldened by it. As I watched on, that's what I saw. I I saw a group of, of young men and women being emboldened to be even more bold in sharing the gospel as they went forth. I remember the the team leader going and um, seeking out and and talking to the organizer of the music festival. And um, he was really bold. He said, how do you go about getting on the main stage? You know, one of those kind of bold conversations that you do when you're young. And um, well, he was assured that we ask you to be on the stage. That's kind of how it works and that this is all planned. You know, the schedule's all laid out. And so there was no more space. And yet the remarkable thing was at the end of the week he came and sought out the team leader and he said, Do you know we've been chatting as a committee and we've been really impressed that you've stayed the the week. We've actually really appreciated you being here providing some live music on the street every day. And there's a 15-minute window, and we're gonna give it to you. 15-minute window. So there at this music festival was this young group of Christians. Who were being given free reign to share the gospel to be able to sing prayers to Jesus on the main stage at an Irish music festival, which doesn't happen all the time. And the team were absolutely delighted. Most of the team were absolutely delighted. I was terrified because um, the person who was really good at the drums had to leave early. And, and um, I'd certainly never played anything like this before in my life. And yet, the gospel went forth, didn't it? The good news about Jesus reached the uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of years that were there listening what seemed to be a, a curtailing of the gospel, a restricting of the gospel, had in a bizarre way flipped and, and found itself being one of the, one of the ways that had brought about this boldness where the team leader had went and asked and, and then the, the door had been opened up and so for 15 minutes at a music festival, people heard about Jesus. Isn't that just like, isn't it typical about how God works? God takes things that we think, no, he wouldn't do it this way. And he flips it on its head and he reminds us that it's not about us, but it's about him. It's not our story, but it's his story. And he is the one who's working all things together for good, for his people. He is the one who is in control. Maybe you're here this evening and you're in a situation and you're thinking, it feels like the gospel is being restricted. It feels like the pressure is on and you feel like it's getting harder and harder and harder to share the truth. And maybe you're tempted to cry out and say, God, get me out of here. And yet perhaps, perhaps our prayer should be, God, what is it that you're doing in this moment? Are there opportunities for me to share the gospel that, well, they they don't seem like the normal options? And yet maybe you're seeking to advance the gospel in in a way that only you would do and to pray that God might give you eyes to see those opportunities so that the the gospel might go forth, it might advance, and the church might grow and flourish. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you are indeed in control And Lord, we recognize that often you work in ways that are strange to us, and yet who are we to question your wisdom? You're all-knowing, you're all-wise, you're all-powerful. And so we gather and we worship you. Father, we pray that you'd embolden us, embolden us as we seek to share the gospel wherever you've placed us. And tonight I I pray for those who are especially feeling as if their opportunities are being restricted. Like Paul and chains, it looks like, from a worldly perspective, the opposite of what you'd want if you're wanting to share the gospel. Lord, might you encourage them. Might you give them increased boldness. Might they stand firm. Lord, might they not compromise, but might they be distinctive and godly. And Might the gospel go forth and might your kingdom